Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of the Miles with Grant podcast. As always, I'm your host, Grant Kaminer. And today's episode is going to be a fun one. Uh, As many of you know, the Prefontaine Classic is coming up. One of my favorite, favorite meets. Um, So I thought what I would do is before I dive into the Prefontaine Classic, I would talk about the mile distance itself. So we're going to do a little bit of a historical episode for the first part where I discuss the mile, how it came to be, some of its, um, the famous runners that have raced it, the current world records, Bannister, of course, you got to mention Roger Bannister. And then we'll move into my Prefontaine preview. As always, uh, thank you for listening and you know, settle in and let's let's dive into some American uh, racing. So the mile distance, for those of you who don't know, the mile distance is just over 1600 meters. It's 1609 meters. So that means it's just over four laps of a standard 400-meter track. The mile originated in ancient Rome from the phrase mille pesos, which meant 1,000 paces, and that was about 5,000 feet. So what the Roman soldiers would do is they measured their distance in feet, and they considered each stride that a Roman soldier took to be about five feet. So that's where we get the 5,000 feet. And then under the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, the mile distance was expanded to its current distance of 5280 feet. And of course, that equals uh, 1609 meters. The mile is the only imperial distance um, measured in, of course, feet that World Athletics keeps an official world record of. So the world record for the men is 343.13, set by Hisham El Garouche of Morocco. And for the women, it's 412.33, recently set by Safan Hassan of the Netherlands. The mile originated in England uh, in the about the 18th century, and it was used similar to how horse racing is now. It was used for men for to gamble. Um, it was used for bets. Um, payments, that sort of thing. It wasn't originally meant as a sporting event. However, um, with the uh, modern Olympic Games coming on, there was a discussion about entering the mile, and eventually uh, the mile was replaced by the 1,500 meters. So the 1,500 meters is just under four laps of a standard track. And because of that, it's oftentimes referred to as the metric mile. So that's important to note that the mile does not um, occur at the Olympics or the World Championships. Instead, it is the 1500. Uh, In 1912, the uh, IAAF form that's currently World Athletics, uh, they oversee World Athletics, World Track and Field, that sort of thing. And they began to keep track of all the world records. So our first World record comes from the American John Paul Jones, who in uh, 1914 ran a 414.4 mile. 
John Paul Jones, and what we're going to see is in a lot of these runners, we're going to see a lot of amateur status. These are people that had more jobs outside of running. And John Paul Jones is an excellent example of that. He attended Cornell and wasn't even involved until track and field until his uh, senior year of college. And just after running for about two or three years, he retired after he finally graduated. So we're going to see that a lot that uh, runners, especially in the 1920s and 1930s, didn't compete until their didn't compete past roughly their 25th birthday because they had to start other careers. They just, you know, a family to support. So it's interesting to note that because these world records probably could have been a lot faster had these guys been given the opportunities that many modern uh, professional athletes are given. In the 1920s, Sweden and Finland battled over the record uh, with runners such as um, Pavo Nermi, Gunther Hag, and Arne Anderson. Um, and Gunther Hag and Arne Anderson are very uh, important to the mile because they actually got the world record lowered to 401.4 by the time they both retired. They had each set the world record three separate times. And they formed probably one of the greatest rivalries of the um, history of track and field. Definitely the greatest rivalry in the time frame that they were competing. Uh, Gunther Haag was also the first person to run a sub-14 minute 5,000. So he also did have a little bit of variety in his distance. And another thing is both Gunther Hogg and Arne Anderson were later banned by the IAF because of uh, claims that they had received payment for their competition, which at the time was banned. Going into uh, the 1950s, this is where we're really going to talk about Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister was the first man to break the four-minute barrier. Now, the four-minute barrier was seen as arguably the impossible, most impossible barrier of the sport until Gunther Hagen and Arnie Anderson became well-known and started lowering that the really ideas behind a four-minute mile came to fruition. There's something very beautiful about the four-minute mile. It's four laps of a track, four minutes. It's, you know, 15 seconds for a 100, roughly, a little bit, little bit lower. There's something just simplistic about it. and But also, it's easy to understand. I think, well, not everyone in the world can understand what it's like to run, you know, a sub-two-hour marathon like Iliad Kipchoge or to run a sub-one-hour half marathon. Almost everyone can understand running a mile. And most people, of course, run a mile, you know, Eight to nine minutes, um, with, of course, the professional athletes being a little bit quicker. But everyone can understand it. So for Roger Bannister to break this, this was huge for the sport of track and field. Roger Bannister was born March 23rd, 1929, and he showed promise of uh, the sport of athletics from an extremely young age, where he won three straight cross-country junior cups. Uh, Roger Bannister, between finishing up his secondary education before entering college. Uh, he took a gap year where um, 
after that, he decided to switch from uh, the University of Cambridge to Oxford University, where he studied medicine. According to the research I found, Roger Bannister ran his first mile. I put first in quotation marks because it definitely wasn't the first mile he ran, but it was his first maybe amateur mile or the first mile in actual competition when he ran a 424.6. Now, up until this, Bannister had never worn spikes and wasn't really training. Yes, he was running, but he wasn't training in the sense that he was preparing for this. Uh, however, just a couple years later, by 1949, his mile was already down to 411, and in 1951, he ran the AAA Championships, which is uh, kind of the uh, English version of now the U.S. Championships or the AAU Championships. Bannister was the world example of what an amateur athlete was sometimes he could only train an hour a day while in between studying for medicine um trying to, attempting to even have a little bit of a social life um he would buy i read some accounts where he would go down and only get like a 20 minute workout in between you know working 24 hour shifts so roger banister did compete at the 1952 olympics and he finished fourth. However, he did run a British record for the 1500 meters in 346.3. Now, Bannister originally was slated to win gold. However, his training almost kind of became useless, useless because he found out that there would be three races instead of two, that they had added a semifinal. And this would have messed with his training because he had focused primarily on speed work, not the distance work that it would need to run the, the full three miles instead of now two. So after his fourth place finish, Bannister considered retiring. However, in 1953, he ran a 403.4 mile that definitely made him think otherwise. And just a year later, on May 6th, 1954, Bannister broke the four-minute barrier. Bannister got excellent pacing. This was one of the first races where we saw the truly importance of pacing. He had one guy go uh, through halfway, and then the second pacer went through in three laps. Uh, the meet was a British athletics, or like I said, the triple A versus an Oxford University meet. There were heavy winds when Bannister woke up and all throughout the day. However, right before the start, the wind died, and that made Bannister believe that he could go for uh, the record. Through 400, they split uh, 58 seconds. At half mile, they were at 158, 301 at the bell lap, and a finish in 359.4. Quickly after this, Bannister did retire from running, However, he did have one final meet against John Landy, who was another one of his competitions. After retiring from running, Bannister had a 40-plus year medical career, and he did carry the Olympic flame in 2012 around the track where he broke the barrier, which I thought was very... That was just a cool moment to see Bannister get to do that. Uh, we're now going to talk about two of... Um, Bannister's biggest competitions for the four-minute mile, the first being Luis Santi, 
who was born March 25, 1932. He was born in Kansas and would later attend the University of Kansas, where he set records in both the mile and the two-mile and won the 1953 cross-country championships. He was allowed to compete at the 1952 Olympics in the 5,000, but was barred from the 1,500 because of a rule, or, a, you know, a rule. There wasn't really a rule, but they, the AAU had kind of stopped him from competing in the 1,500. He set the U.S. mile record on four separate occasions, and at one point he held the 1,500-meter world record in 342.8. Unfortunately, Wee Santee was never able to break the four-minute barrier as he was banned in 1955 by the AAU because of a stipulation and a claim that he had received monetary um, gains for competition. The second athlete is John Landy of Australia. He was born April 12, 1930. He went to the University of Melbourne where he studied agri-science. Landy and Bannister were seen as the two people that would break it most likely. And quickly after Bannister broke the four-minute barrier, John Landy absolutely decimated Bannister's record running a 357.9. And an interesting mile was the Miracle Mile at the Commonwealth Championships in 1954, where Bannister and Landy did face off against each other, with Bannister winning in 358.8. One of the most iconic moments of the race is when they entered the final 100 meters, and Landy looks over his shoulder, and Bannister is passing him on the outside. And in fact, there's a uh, statue of that, and it's you know a stamp, it's on coins. It's a very, very famous... Um, picture. If you'd see it, you would definitely recognize it. Um, after Bannister, we saw the American Jim Ryan, who set the world record of 351.1 back in 1967. Uh, Jim Ryan was also the silver medalist at the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. Jim Ryan's important to the sport of running because he became one of the first runners to use interval training. And while interval training had been used prior to this, he was the one who really kind of perfected it. And many of his interval sessions and what he did are still mimicked by high schoolers uh, and collegiate athletes still even to today. After Jim Ryan, we do see that African dominance starting to come in with Kip Kinyo of Kenya and Philbert Bayi of Tanzania, each holding the world record. In the 1980s, um, there was a British resurgence by the Brits Sebastian Coe and Steve Ovet. However, in the 1990s, Hisham El Garous, who I discussed earlier, grabbed the current world record in 343. So that sums up a nice, I think, a nice little history of the mile for part one. Uh, stick around. And we'll talk about my Prefontaine Classic preview. So this is now part two of episode seven. I did decide to group them all into one episode. In part two, we're going to talk about the Prefontaine Classic 2021. Uh, First, a little bit of background, though. For those of you who don't know, the Prefontaine Classic is named after American uh, runner Steve Prefontaine, who tragically died at the young age of 24 in an automobile accident. So, 
the um, Prefontaine Classic is a part of the Diamond League circuit, and it's seen as pretty much the premier American track event of the year. And this year is no exception. I was looking over this field, and it is absolutely stacked. I'm going to talk about each event, and I'll break down who I think can win. I'll give you each athlete, uh, give them a little bit of their background, and you know we'll just go from there. Uh, starting off with the men, the international mile is uh, kind of seen as the B race, of course, because of the the Bowerman Mile that comes later. And there's a couple athletes I do want to talk about is uh, Craig Ingalls is not competing in the top mile. Uh, I'm not sure why. Um, he did finish a disappointing fourth back at the U.S. Trials, so he did not get a spot to Tokyo. And another athlete is Gordy Beamish, who you might remember ran for Northern Arizona University. Moving into the men's 100 meters, this is a crazy stacked field. All all athletes are under 10 seconds, and we start off with Andre DeGrasse, the gold medalist at Tokyo. Uh, DeGrasse also ran the 200 meters at Tokyo. Also, Ronnie Baker, who was fifth at Tokyo. Trayvon Bromo, who competed at Tokyo and barely missed the final. Justin Gatlin, the 39-year-old, who's also a five-time Olympic medalist and was making a comeback. Craven Gillespie, sixth at the U.S. Trials. Fred Curley with a silver at Tokyo. Michael Norman, the 400-meter specialist, who did not uh, qualify for the Tokyo Olympics. And Akani Simbine, who was fourth at Tokyo. So as you can see, this is a stacked field. We're basically returning the gold medalist, the silver medalist, the fourth and fifth guy from the Tokyo Olympics, which were just about a month ago. So it's almost up in the air. I think Andre DeGrasse is still going to get it. He's looked pretty unbeatable, very, very good over the past month. I think he grabs the gold. In the 200 meters, there's Kenny Benarik, who was the silver medalist at Tokyo. Rye Benjamin, the silver in the 400 meter hurdles at Tokyo. Jerome Baker, he was part of Canada's bronze 4x100-meter team. Aaron Brown, also of Canada, who was 6th at the 200 in Tokyo. Kyrie King, the Oregon collegiate athlete. Josephus Lyles, gold medalist at the World Juniors back in 2014. Noah Lyles, who was bronze in 200 meters at Tokyo. And Vernon Norwood, who was a member of the gold 4x4 team uh, in Tokyo, and also a member of the mixed 4x4 team that won bronze. To me, this field, it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, of course, we're seeing Rye Benjamin, who is the 400-meter specialist, and it's interesting because he's a hurdler. So you don't see oftentimes hurdlers even going down to the flat version of their race, and with uh, the Prefontaine Classic not having a 400, Rye Benjamin opts to go down to the 200, and I think he's going to be an interesting runner to watch. I think the, the the clear choice is Noah Lyles. Yes, Kenny Benarik did beat him in Tokyo, and yes, Noah Lyles hasn't looked his best, but Noah Lyles is a hungry runner. You know, he's going to be able, I think, to grind it out. The 200 meters is, is a, it's not the hardest race on the track um, dock it, but it, it can push you a little bit. 
so it will it will be very interesting to see how um no Laos can perform especially after he finished bronze when i think many people expected him to grab the gold in the men's 800 we have marco arop who uh did not make the final at tokyo but was still there in the semis uh oliver dustin who did not advance past the heats at Tokyo. And you might remember him because he had a failed drug test for cocaine. He was later still cleared. I believe they said it was cross-contamination, but you may have remembered him from that. Elliot Giles of Great Britain, who uh, did not make the final at Tokyo, made the semis. Isaiah Harris, he was an NCAA champion at 800 meters while competing for Penn State. Bryce Hoppel, who also did not make the 800 meter final at Tokyo. Um, Isaiah Jewett, who fell in the 800-meter semi and got tangled up with Nigel Amos. You may have remembered that. Emmanuel Courier, who is the gold medalist at Tokyo in the 800. Clayton Murphy, who was ninth in the 800 at Tokyo. And Ferguson Rotich, who was silver at Tokyo in the 800. Ferguson Rotich and Emmanuel Courier going 1-2, I think is very very possible here they run extremely well together they're um extremely extremely talented runners Clayton Murphy I don't know about him he's I think by many he was seen as the the top runner going into maybe not the top runner but maybe definitely the top American and he was one who could possibly compete for gold and instead he did finish a disappointing ninth in the 800 um, so we will have to see how he can respond to that. If he responds to it well and looks like it doesn't, isn't holding him back, then I think he can definitely play a part in this. But I think Emmanuel Career Ferguson Rotich going 1-2 is most likely going to happen. Moving into, the, in my mind, the all the distance events are stacked, but this um, Bowerman Mile and then the men's 2-mile is, they're both insane. Starting off with the mile, we have Mo Ahmed, who was silver at Tokyo for 5,000. We have Matthew Senchowitz, who had a tough race at Tokyo, not making the final, but he was the gold medalist back in Rio and just put down about a couple weeks before the Tokyo Olympics a sub-350 mile. Timothy Chariot, who was the silver medalist at Tokyo in the 15. Jake Hayward, who was ninth in the 15 at Tokyo. Ali Hoare, who was 11th. Philip Ingebrigtsen, who's the Norwegian record holder for the mile. Um, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who was the 1,500-meter gold medalist at Tokyo. Abel Kipsing, who was fourth at Tokyo, just missing out on a medal. Ronald Quemoy, a primarily 5,000, 10,000 and marathon guy who's stepping down. Stuart McSwayan, who's the Australian mile record holder. He was seventh in the 1,500 meters at Tokyo. Matthew Ramsden, the 2019 Oceania champion at 1,500 meters, and Samuel Tafera, who was ninth at Tokyo in, in the um, heats. As you can see, this is a stacked field. Both Ingebrigtsen's, Timothy Chariot, Matthew Senchowitz, and Mohamed, I think, can all compete. Stuart McSwayan, of course, this year has shown himself to be a fantastic pacer. I wonder if that's kind of the position that he's in here is to pace. I don't know, uh, but we'll see. This could, like I said, both, there's a bunch of guys in here who have run a, a 328. So this could be a very, very fast mile, and I think it will be. I don't think they're going to try to play it tactical. 
Um, I think the chips lie in Jakob Ingebrigtsen's hands, whether he's going to push the pace or sit and, and kick like he sometimes does, I think remains to be seen. We know Timothy Chariot is most likely going to take it out fast. Um, Stuart McSwain can take... I mean, there's so many fantastic runners in this field that, although I do think Jakob Ingebrigtsen is my pick, it's really still up in the air on who can claim uh, that top spot. In the men's two-mile, we start off with Buruhu Arigawi, who was fourth at Tokyo in the 10,000 meters. Salomon Borrego, who was the gold medalist in the 10,000. Paul Chalimo, who was bronze in Tokyo in the 5,000, and also grabbed a silver in Rio back in 2016 in the same event. Joshua Cheptegei, who's the world record in the 5,000 and the 10,000. He won gold in the 5,000, the silver in the 10,000 at the Tokyo Olympics. Daniel Obenio, he was 10th in the semis of the 5,000 meters. Grant Fisher, who was 5th in the 10,000 final at Tokyo. Luis Grijalva, who was 12th in the 5,000 final at Tokyo. Michael Cabet, not much else is really known about him. He's a 13-11 guy, did not compete at the Tokyo Olympics. Woody Kincaid was 14th in the 5,000, 15th in the 10,000 at Tokyo. Jacob Kipolimo, he's the 2020 World Half Marathon Champion. Pretty young, just about 20, 21 years old. Joe Klecker, he was 16th in the 10,000 at Tokyo. Mark uh, Lomoket, who set a world-leading time of 13.01 back in May of this year. Nibret Malak, who was 14th in the heat of the 5,000. Mark Scott of Great Britain, who was 14th in the 10,000-meter finals. And finishing us off is Justin Soget, who was the World 20 bronze medalist. This is almost an even more stacked field. We have the world record holder in the 5,000 and the 10,000, multiple Olympic medalists, the world half marathon champion, a, a world leading runner. It's going to be very interesting to see how this, this race plays out. Do I think Joshua Cheptegei could go for a world record? I think he could. Remember, the world record is 7.58, and he has run a 12.35 for 5,000 meters, so he just needs to run, of course, a little bit faster, which is easier said than done. But I do think it's possible for him, and that would be something to have the world record in both the 2-mile, the 5, and the 10. Uh, For the 2-mile, I do lean more heavily towards 5,000-meter specialists. Yes, you know, Salomon Brig is a tremendous athlete, but he's more of a 10,000. The same goes with Grant Fisher, um, Woody Kincaid. Both those guys are better, I believe, at the 10,000 and the 5,000. And uh, Joshua Chepta guy just happens to be a very, very unique runner in that aspect. And now we're going to move into the women's portion of the event. We start off with... Uh, the women's distance night, which is Friday night, actually. Uh, the 800 meters, we have Natoya Gould, who was 8th in the 800 meter final at Tokyo. Kate Grace, who was 7th at the U.S. Trials this year, but since then has set uh, personal bests in the 800 and has had a, a pretty fantastic summer for her after the disappointing finish at the U.S. Trials. Keely Hodgkinson, who was silver in the 800 at Tokyo. Athing Mo, who was the gold medalist at Tokyo in the 800 meters. Uh, Halima Nakayi, he was the gold medalist at Doha in the 800 back in 2019. Gemma Riki, he was fourth in the 800 meters at Tokyo. 
and Raven Rogers, who was the bronze medalist, Sabrina Sutherland, the NCAA champion over 800 meters, and Ajay Wilson, who was fourth in the semis. Right off the bat, I think this is going to be another Athingmo Keeley Hodgkinson battle. Both of those runners are extremely talented. They're very, very young. They're both in their young 20s. And they can both run very hard. I think I think Mo is going to come out with that. She looks so graceful when she w- runs that it's it's hard to beat her, and she looks unbeatable. In the 1,500 meters, now this is staged as a North American race, but there's um, Federica de Bruno of Italy and Marta Ben of uh, Portugal who are both in this, so I don't know why they're calling it a North American race. Um but it is mostly Americans and um, a couple Canadians even. Nia Aikens starts us off. She fell in the 800 meters at the U.S. trial. Danny Aragon, the four-time All-American at Notre Dame. Federica Del Buono, she's the Italian, who was bronze at the European indoors over 1,500 meters. Eleanor Fulton, who made the semis of the U.S. Olympic trials. Nikki Hiltz, who finished 12th in the 1500 meters back in Doha in 2019. Sage Herta, who's the 2021 NCAA mile champion. Danny Jones, also an NCAA champion, represented Colorado back when she was running collegiately, uh, where she won the NCAA championships both over 1500 meters and 5000 meters. Rebecca Meher, she was an All American at Stanford. Martha Ben of Portugal, she did win a NCAA champion over 1,500 meters when she ran for Mississippi State. Helen Schlafflenhofen, who ran for Dartmouth, she's a 401 1,500 meter woman. Sarah Vaughn, she represented the USA at Worlds in London in 2017. And Ali Wilson, who's um, a 415 1,500 meter runner. And while this maybe isn't the most stacked field in the race. It's still extremely competitive. We have a couple U.S. championships. Uh, runners, I believe, in my opinion, it's going to go to Helen Schlafflenhoff, and she's the 401 girl. Um, she has a ton of experience. She ran for Dartmouth in college. Um, didn't make the U.S. Olympic team this year, um, but still, still pretty young. She just graduated a couple years ago. She, she's still in her 20s. And if she, you know, she's going to probably start up her gear to try to make the Paris team in 2024. So a good win at the Prefontaine Classic would be uh, pretty big for her. The 5,000 meters is um, just absolutely, it's a, it's a stacked field. The um, biggest moment, and what I do want to cover mostly when I talk about the women's 5,000, is Safan Hassan, who just ran a tremendous um race where she at the Tokyo Olympics where she was uh meddling in but all three races she meddled in the 15 the 5 and the 10 bronze in the 15 gold in the 5 and the 10 that's never been done before she looked absolutely stunning and in this race she's going for the 5000 meter world record do i think it's obtainable for her absolutely but it's we're going to have to see if she can get some good pacers because she holds it looks like over um her personal best she holds the fastest personal best in the field so it'll be interesting to see if she can get some fast pacers in uh 
the two mile for the women is um of course not as as um highlighted but there are you know Elise Cranny who represented the US at the Tokyo Olympics uh Constance Klosterhoffen who was 8th in the 10,000 at Tokyo Helen O'Beary um who was also a US or not I'm sorry an Olympian for Kenya and then uh the sprints for women as well this is the return of Shakari Richardson who remember was banned uh for a marijuana a positive drug test. Um, there was a bunch of issues for her. She was then um, removed from the U.S. team and then was not granted a spot on the 4 by one team, and that was a little bit of a controversy, but she's back. Um, and she'll have a ton of competition. She's going up against Shelly Ann Frazier-Price, Sarika Jackson, and Elaine Thompson-Herrera, who were 1, 2, and 3 at the Tokyo Olympics. So, and they all represent Jamaica. They're all insanely fast. They all they all have times faster pretty much than Shakari Richardson's personal best. Um, so she's going to have to run a pretty good race if she wants to beat them. But is it possible for her? Absolutely. But it's going to be extremely, extremely tough because these are Olympic runners, and not only Olympic runners, but Olympic champions, Olympic runner-ups that she's competing against. In the 200, we see uh, Allison Felix is still competing, Jenna Prandini, and Gabrielle Thomas. I'm surprised Allison Felix is going for the 200 here. Um, but then again, there's no uh, 400, which I do think is disappointing for her. But it'll be interesting to see how she competes over the 200 meters. Uh, Jenna Prandini, as you know, I think she's a fantastic runner. Um, I She's probably my favorite female runner because of just how well she runs she's sub 22 seconds this season she's the only athlete in the field except for gabby thomas to run under 22 seconds this year so i think gabby thomas and jenna prandini are people to watch uh going one two in the regular uh 1500 meters uh we're gonna see winnie chibet gabrielle debu stanford and Jessica Hall all competing. It's um, a pretty stacked field. Also, Faith Kipiegon is in there. She has, by and away, the fastest time in the field with a 351. So I think she's going to be able to grab the the first place finish for this race. Uh, the final event that I'm going to talk about today is the 400-meter hurdles. And uh, we are seeing... Delilah Muhammad is going to compete. Sage Watson is going to compete. But there is no Sydney McLaughlin. Remember, Sydney McLaughlin and Delilah Muhammad went 1-2 at the Tokyo Olympics running world records. And Delilah Muhammad also beat McLaughlin's older world record when running a 51.58. So I, I would like to see that. But unfortunately, McLaughlin is not slated to compete. But I do think Delilah Muhammad is going to come away with uh, the first place finish there. So that's the Prefontaine Classic. It's um, it's hard to believe that this is the field we're getting. This seems just absolutely insane. We're getting some really, really top Americans like Matthew Sensowitz, uh, Grant Fisher, and we're also getting, you know, Olympic champions and Jakob Ingebrigtsen, uh, Joshua Cheptegei, Safan Hassan's going for the world record. I can't remember a Prefontaine Classic that was this stacked. Um, it's just going to be really exciting. Um... 
and I will definitely be watching as much as possible. Um, and we'll just see how it plays out. Uh, so that concludes this episode. As always, I guess, thank you for listening. Uh, and check in next week with uh, where I talk about the uh, review. And next week, hopefully, I'll be starting up my college classes. I'll have be able to talk about that. And I'll be able to talk about my running as well, as I'll hopefully have my first meet. There's uh, some debate on whether I will be competing tomorrow. Um, but hopefully that happens, and I'll be able to talk about that. Uh, so just thank you for listening, and just keep at it.